We've talked many times on this show about how to be effective, but how do you become a champion? On today's episode, the blueprint for that answer from a former Olympic athlete. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 186. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And one of the words that comes up for a lot of us is how do we become champions, become champions for what we're doing, for what we want to achieve in the workplace, in our careers, but also on a personal level. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to my guest today, who has a lot of experience in working through difficult challenges and not only is a champion himself, but has helped other people to become champions. And that is Jeff Spencer. Dr. Jeff Spencer was a sprint cyclist on the 1972 U.S. Olympic cycling team. He's also been the team doctor to six winning cycling teams in the Tour de France. He obviously has a unique insight on what it takes to have the physical and mental capacity to keep going despite extremely difficult circumstances, and he uh, does a lot of work with leaders to help them to become effective and to really build their championship status too. Jeff, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Well, thank you so much, Dave, and I appreciate your vote of confidence here. Well, I think before we get into to some of the strategies you utilize with the people you work with and the athletes and business leaders you've worked with over the years, uh, I'm just curious about like how did you how did you become an Olympic athlete? I mean, we could probably spend 40 minutes on that alone, but w- what was that journey like of of going to the Olympics and being part of the U.S. Olympic team? Well, what a great question that is, Dave. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to get up at 5 a.m. and go outside and hit my little baseball up and down the street, and all I had was this idea and this ambition. I wanted to be an Olympian. I just thought that that would be just the coolest thing ever, and. Um, I can honestly say that uh, mentors were the one thing that helped me get to where I needed to be to be able to become an Olympian. And uh, as a family, I was on welfare um, from the age of 13 when my dad left the family. It was the last time I saw him. And he uh, died homeless on the streets, streets of New York City as a, as a genius. And uh, so that was a significant loss. But uh, the silver lining to that very dark period for me is that I just had these amazing mentors from all walks of life. They came from sport, they came from business, they came from stage that shared with me how it is that they became iconic. And I embraced those principles and applied them to my own life. And as a result of that, I was able to make an Olympic team. Wow. Uh, you know, you said something there a minute ago that I, I hope you don't mind me prying a little bit. I, I'm really curious about, though, you, you said you lost your dad and he mm-hmm. died homeless as a right. genius. Did I hear right. you right? Yeah, you did. Yep. Uh, tell tell me more. Are, are you willing to tell me more about that? Like what? Absolutely. Actually, this is really part of the story. And this is sort of how it went is that when I was studying Olympians, I was very curious about the fact that the biggest and the baddest and the guys on paper that should have won didn't. And I was curious about that. And then when my dad left and I found out 30 years later how he died, I realized that, well, will and talent aren't enough even though we think that it should be and his technique, though it was unchallenged for its greatness. And the fact that he had every technology known to man, his technique, his talent, his technology didn't save him. 
So I realized that that was another part of the myth about what it takes to become a champion. And then when I had the mentors in my life, uh, they were guys that didn't have the best pedigree, but they were always first in line to be able to grab the brass ring when it came around. So I saw the pattern for the second time is that the people that have a certain state of readiness to be able to capitalize on opportunity are the ones that always rise to the surface to create lives of distinction. So that was a really important moment for me because I knew that will and talent, though they're important and necessary, they're not the secret ingredient in that uh, becoming and living a life of distinction and meaning and contribution, it's not an accident. It's the very deliberate outcome of very specific actions that are consistently applied. So that was really the bigger lesson for me. And with my mentors, that proved to exactly be the case. Well, it's really interesting you say that because, um, you know, you and I have both spent a lot of time in school in addition to our other you know, our other uh, professional work. And, you know, I'm sure you've had this too, where you run into people who have exceptionally amazing education, degrees, credentials, and yet don't really ever seem to to make it happen or don't seem to be extraordinarily successful in their in their careers. Um, and it sounds like you've seen that pattern in this in the sports world too. what it what is the piece that's missing? Like what is the difference maker between someone who, is able to move forward, even if they don't have all that education or the knowledge or the pedigree, like you said, and the people who really are able to take advantage of that? Well, the, the single most important factor is, is how people perform in pivotal moments. And those people that can perform because they have a readiness to capitalize on opportunity when it shows up are always the ones that are be able to move forward. And universally, I found that that's really the distinction. It's like, do you have the readiness for the three to five pivotal moments that occur each year that will make or break your career or your life that year? And those people that have that readiness are the ones that are perennial peak performers. And those people that do not have that readiness, despite their accolades, will not be able to perform at the highest level possible. Oh, interesting. Okay. So three to five times a year, what's an example of a pivotal moment that that shows up either in a person's career or in their sporting op- sporting career that would be the kind of thing that they really do need to be ready for? Well, I got a call in uh, June of 2012 from the Olympic Village at the London Olympics and the gold medal favorite in one of the events, I was contacted by his coach and he said that it's two and a half weeks before the Olympic final, he spent 20 years to get there and he's starting to physically and mentally melt down. Can I help? And so this was obviously a person that even though he had the best coaches, he had the best equipment, he had the best of everything, he didn't have the capacity to be able to step into and perform at the highest level when it counted. And fortunately, I was able to resurrect and reconnect his mind and his body. So he actually did win the gold medal. But that's a a, a very classic example. And you see this also in business where a person has an opportunity to maybe make an investment or to make some sort of a collaborative agreement to exponentially catapult them into a whole other level of uh, economics that they bungle the process. So I, again, I see this all the time and clearly it's a state of readiness and it's like uh, a skill that everybody really has to develop to become a prolific performer is to really be able to identify where they are and how they're performing and also be able to peek around the corner so they know what's coming and they create the readiness so that when the brass ring shows up, they can capitalize on it rather than step off the cliff and stall and lose momentum that they may never recapture. I see this all the time. I resonate a lot with that too, because one of the things, just at Dale Carnegie, we teach people in our presentation skills training is that five minutes in front of the right audience 
can be worth more to you than a year behind your desk. And it, 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 and it's really doing that work and that training and that diligence and that coaching to get you ready for that five minutes, not not necessarily for that year behind your desk. And uh, and 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 if and people who are able to capture that and prepare for that moment, that the difference is amazing. We see it all <laughs> well, the time. That, that is the difference. It, it's like let's put it this way: within the context of a normal business model, most people think that. If you dream big enough and you want it bad enough and you got a great plan, you're going to be able to close the gap to get to where you want to go. And history doesn't support that. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of people that got a lot of will and talent to go anywhere, but it's really those people that hold that sacred space that people call the gap. It's not a gap. It's really a living, breathing space that's full of opportunities and moments. And if we have the readiness to be able to perceive them and draw them into existence and we have the skill to be able to capitalize on them because we have the skill ready to be applied when it counts, then that's how we carry momentum forward. And that's a classic characteristic of every prolific peak performer. Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm thinking back to, I, I saw something online recently, Jeff, and it, people who follow me on Twitter may remember this, that it said something like, hard work always pays off. And I, I sent I sent that out on Twitter and I was like, oh, that is such a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it can pay off, but if with the wrong strategy, the wrong preparation, hard work alone just isn't enough, unfortunately. I'm, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, I suppose. Well, that's the name of the game. I mean, really, the champion's golden rule. And when I say champion, it doesn't either matter whether it's business, sport, on stage, or in life. But, you know, the golden rule is you do the homework and the test is easy. You know, you have to have the skill ready to be able to apply when it counts. And you can't think your way to a place where only a skill can deliver on the promise. It, it just can't happen. Well, this 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 good practical question for us then. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of us struggle with, I know I I certainly work through this a lot, is you know having the confidence in order to get there. And um, how do you push forward on something when you have a goal that's important, you want to get there, but you don't really have the confidence that that you're going to show up and and be able to perform? Like, what do you, what do you do when you're working with people, Jeff, and and athletes to really help them to bridge that gap? Well, whether it's athletes or business, it's all the same thing. Number one, like you have to be very clear on what it is that you have to deliver on, and then you have to dissect it into bite-sized increments that you can progressively learn the skill. And then the skill has to be rehearsed so you actually own the process. And the skill actually has to be vetted by someone that knows exactly what has to happen so that you're confident in the right preparation. And then when you show up and perform, Generally, you have to have a ritual that sets the readiness so you show up and the first word that rolls off your tongue sets all the dominoes falling so that you deliver the process with perfect timing the way that it was actually rehearsed. And that's the way that you do it. And it's like you cannot think your way there. No amount of positive thinking, uh, no amount of affirmations is going to make up for the skill that you do not have and the practice that you have not done to be able to prepare for these pivotal moments. What's the biggest difference you see between those who who do that practice and, and do the diligence to prepare themselves and those that fall short of that? Well, they know that they're ready. Uh, that's a characteristic of a champion. I mean, you look at them in business or in sport or on stage, and before they have to perform, they may be nervous. I mean, I've never met a person, first off, that's never been nervous, that doesn't have a sweaty brow or clammy hands. I mean, that's a sign of biologic readiness, and they realize that the key thing is is to let their preparation do the work for them and don't try to control the process too rigidly because then your timing's off, you bungle your words, and then it, it becomes a lost opportunity. So 
every person that's really done their homework well and knows it and has had the right vetting and the right coaching and the right mentorship really knows that the execution is the name of the game where you let your preparation do the work for you. So the real work is the preparation. It's not even necessarily at that pivotal moment per se. It's, it's not. No, it's an application at the right moment where you're really trusting in your preparation is really what it is. And it really, you cannot think your way fast enough to be able to perform with ideal timing. You know, ideal timing and ideal response is the direct product of your level of preparation and your willingness to put yourself aside to be able to trust in the process and the preparation to really be able to deliver on its promise. It's a trained skill. It doesn't come naturally to any of us because of our natural fear of failure. It's a trained skill that you have to learn and you have to trust in. So almost um, both hope and perhaps a challenge to all of us that you know it's accessible to all of us, but it's accessible because we really do have to put in the work to get there. You know, there's no, it's, I'm always like so amazed. Anytime I talk to successful people and leaders, there's just no shortcuts. I mean, you find, if you find people doing really amazing things, it's not because they made, they, they found a shortcut to get there. It's because they did the hard work. Um, well, they did. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, is that when you do the hard work, then you believe that you deserve to have a successful uh, outcome. If you don't do it, then there's something in you that knows that you don't deserve it. You know, yeah. your timing's off and you start to lock up and you bungle it every time. So, Again, um, it, it truly always goes back to this whole concept of readiness for pivotal moments. And that's purely a product of the right level of skill preparation and application and training. It ultimately, ultimately comes back to that. So the, one of the interesting things about your career, when, when you and I were first introduced and we talked, is I was really interested that your career goes way beyond just cycling. Um, you've worked with some really stellar business leaders and even people way outside of sports and business. Like um, I know you've, you've worked with the YouTube band uh, to help them. And I, so I, I'm really interested, like what did you learn working with you too? Like when, when you talked with those guys, like how did you, what are they doing that the rest of us just, or at least most of us don't necessarily think about as far as how to be at the top of our game? Well, they're, they're really the uh, epitome of the readiness concept. It's like when they prepare for a world tour, and in mind, uh, be mindful of the fact that a world tour is 18 months on the road. I mean, that, that's a long time. That's its own its Olympic decathlon event is what it is. And so they prepare exactly the same time that they're going to perform. They perform in exactly the same size arena that they're going to be performing in, in the concert. They have uh, live dress rehearsals. They video every set that they do they go backstage and they look uh, at what they just did on video they refine it they go back and they work again i mean they're tireless in their application then the last thing they do before they go uh, live with their first concert of the world tour is that they host uh, an event to selected people where they run through the concert uh, one time completely live and at that point then they sign off and they let their months and months and months of preparation do the work for them it's like clockwork i mean they are absolutely the epitome of what it takes to be able to perform well. They do the homework and they always produce the platinum album. So it it's a system. They they've created the system, they've worked the system, they have um they have become they have become the system once they're at that point where they're performing that it is I don't want to say autopilot, but it's very they know exactly what they're doing. They they do. And one of the words that you use is perfect with system because there's a lot of moving parts that are required you become excellent in anything and no one wins alone. Everybody needs a team. Everybody needs collaborators. And so one of the things that they do really well is that they all work together and they let each other be the best at what they're best at. So all the people that 
show up are performing at the best of how they have to perform for the entire system to be able to create an output that transcends to some of the individual parts. And that's an amazing thing that they can do at that level of proficiency. It's, it's amazing to be part of that. Well, and to have the courage to not only them as individuals, but as a team. And I think here's here's a huge lesson for us from a leadership standpoint is to be willing to allow the people to have to tap into the talents that they're really the best at uniquely and to allow them to focus that time and energy in the organization to do that and other people to focus on their unique talents. And if you put people in their areas of strength, that that allows the entire team to get much more much more value from that. And that's really hard to do in critical situations. For example, when I helped a guy win a gold medal uh, in London Olympics, even though he had the best of everything around him, everybody was firmly convinced that for him to put in the jump that was necessary to win the gold medal, he had to have a perfect jump. So everybody was chasing all the details that they thought were relevant that would enable him to be able to put in that perfect jump. And I said, well, this is part of the reason why you're locking up is that you're chasing perfection. There's always going to be one more detail that you think that you need to find to be able to put in the perfect jump to win the gold medal. I said, that's the problem. You know, there's two things that you need to do when you win. All you need to do is don't change your warm up and do your first four steps and you're going to be able to perform because you're leading the world championship. And when he listened to that, he stopped chasing perfection. That's when he put in the perfect jump and that's how I won the gold medal. Wow. It's really hard to show that level of discipline when everything's on the line, you know, but that's ultimately what it takes. And it really does go back to the preparation, you know, when you do the work and you show up and you trust the process and you don't hold back, boom, instant gold medal. Jeff, I remember years ago uh, when I started my career at Dale Carnegie, I, I went into a workshop that was pretty large. It was 70 or 80 people. And I had, I forget all the details how we did, but I, we had changed up something very last minute on how the presentation was going to go. And I, I didn't, it, I didn't blow the presentation, but it, it was not a smashing success. And um, and I, I, re, I remember learning the lesson that day that the importance of what you just said of preparation, of not trying to change things up, because if you, if you create the system, if you've got the confidence, if you're following the path, that that's what really does prepare you for those pivotal moments. Well, it really does. I mean, again, how you prepare is how you perform. That's ultimately the name of the game. And, uh, one of the classic amateurish mistakes is that people always try to make something good better and they just can't help themselves. They have to keep refining it until they ruin it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we interesting. Seem, we, we, we just can't seem to help ourselves because we do have this belief that perfection is necessary and it's not. You know, 90% right is good enough. And if we pull back and we let the harmony of the system do the work for us, because all the parts are firing in all eight cylinders, that's where you get the exponential boost that one or two items that are irrelevant uh, will not provide. And, and most people, they concentrate on all the things that could go wrong rather than the one or two things that has to go right. And it's like, I'm not uh, an 80-20 rule guy. I, I'm a, let's do the one to 2% that has to go right to gain access to 98% opportunity. Hmm. I'm not a guy that thinks that you have to cover everything. Uh, let's go after the one or two things that absolutely have to go right right now and the blowback that we get from that implementation will tell us what the next step is. And that's how we compress our learning curve to create the readiness that other people will not be able to create because they don't have the model and the confidence to enable that to be able to happen. Oh, interesting. So help me uh, help me with an example of uh, how does that work? Like, where is where is it where we get caught up in getting too much into the perfection and trying to get everything perfect and the good enough then 
suffers as a result? Like, what, what's a business or a sports situation where you've really seen that happen? Um, so we can learn from that too. Well, I think that's like a human nature issue. I was with my daughter the other day and she's 16 and she was walk, watching uh, The Voice on television. And you saw somebody that performed brilliantly off stage when it didn't count. Then when she went on stage, she tried to control and change everything and tried to be too perfect and absolutely blew it because she had no timing. You also see that like in Olympic figure skating, somebody could do a, a triple whatever in practice, then they go out live and all the pressure's on, they try to control every movement, their timing's off, and they eventually end up tragically falling on the ice. So you also see this in business where someone gets anxious, they feel like maybe we gotta push the go button now, because if we don't go now, somebody's gonna get the jump on us, so they prematurely push the go button and it backfires predictably. Hmm. So you know, re resisting the human nature tendency to really buy into the perfection model, it's a complete myth, it's never delivered, it never will deliver. And, you know, our human nature shows us that when you apply what has to go right and only one thing can go right at any moment in time, that's the thing that's going to make the ultimate difference that creates the perfect timing that enables the impossible now to become the normal rather than the occasional exception. Well, um, you know, I'm interested also in human nature and, um, you know, just by by your background and your work with the Tour de France, and I know you've worked with with folks like Lance Armstrong and Lance Armstrong in particular, um, you know, the human nature thing always comes up in leadership because none of us are perfect. We make mistakes. And um, I think, you know, Lance Armstrong is an interesting case study on that just because, you know, we've all heard, I mean, many of us have heard about his story and certainly cycling as a sport has come under a lot of pressure on the doping scandal. And I know you're very familiar with that. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, what's like, you know, within that sport, how have you handled that? Like you've obviously gone through a situation of seeing people fall and being disappointed by some of the leaders in the sport. Where do you fall down on that? And how do you handle that? And how do you handle those disappointments and, and respond to it to continue to do the good things you do and to continue to support a sport that I know you feel passionately about? Well, uh, first off, having knowledge of the use of illegal drugs in the sport, I had no knowledge of that because I was a natural healthcare professional as a chiropractor. It stands against everything that I believe in. And certainly had I known about that in advance, I would have been on the first plane home. There's absolutely no question about that. So that being said, um, there's always challenge in anything anybody does. And the question is, how far are you going to go with the vetting? And in business, how come you didn't know about the accountant that was embezzling from you? You know, in our personal lives, how come you didn't know about the affair that your wife was having, or husband? I mean, how far did we go with a certain vetting? And I think that that's a really an important uh, question that we all need to ask ourselves. Another side of this, uh, Dave, that I think is uh, also really, really, really important is how are we setting the bar for what we do? And most people, the natural tendency is to want to be the best at whatever you're doing. And I don't know if that's really the best strategy. I think the place that you really start is really creating your legacy and to define what your legacy is so that you can look at how it is that you want your life and your race to end. And if whatever you're doing is not going to lead to that, then probably it doesn't have a place in your life. And so when we do have a legacy statement created in advance, it acts as an integrity filter that really shows us what to do and what really not to do. 
And it allows us to be able to create a life of distinction and meaning that serves as a case study that other people can learn from about uh, how we engaged our talent uh, and our life's potential to create a force for good and to be able to create a life of distinction, meaning, and uh, purpose. And uh, the other side of this is that um, the whole concept of judgment uh, is another, I think, very important issue here because uh, some people deified Lance as a god. Some people looked at him as a singular demon and devil. I never looked at him as, as either. And uh, I do know that our judgments uh, will uh, disable us from being able to learn lessons for people that can be very valuable to us. And, you know, one of the things about uh, Lance, I think, is, uh, you know, really key about this is that if we expect to learn anything from perfect role models, well, then don't plan on learning much of anything from anybody. Mm. Because we all bring our garbage with us, whether we know about it or whether we don't know about it, and even within our relationships. So, again, um, the question being is that with a strong legacy statement, then maybe getting to the top at all costs isn't an option. Yeah. And I don't think it should be an option. And it's really not about the gold medal. It's maybe about how we fight the war and how we deal with life from a position of honor um, and how we want to be an example of what character and courage really means in a world that doesn't really have as much of that as I think that it really should have. So for me, you know, personally, um, it was tragic and difficult to deal and face that reality. But I know that that's uh, sometimes what happens in life. And what's important is that we continue to carry on and that we live lives that, um, uh, speak of a tremendous value and respect for life's process and that we, uh, do things that encourage people to elevate their game so that they can lead a life of meaning, purpose, passion, and productivity as well. Yeah, two things I hear there really strongly. One is start with yourself, You know what, where your values are, where your integrity is. So mm-hmm. when you run in those situations, you know how you're going to respond. And, mm-hmm. and then secondly, the willingness to, and I think the and this is hard because our society tells us not to do this, Jeff, which is neither to, like you said, deify someone or demonize them. Um, I, I remember having lunch with someone recently and we were talking about some, I don't even remember the person we were talking about, but they said, um, they said, oh yeah, you know, I don't really like this person at all personally, but, but, but boy, I can, st- but what an interesting thing they're teaching. <laughs> and yeah. I, I found that really, um, I found that really, um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Really insightful because I think when you, if you can get to that point, and I know when I have, at times that I have, when you can get to that point where you can set aside, like, how do I feel about this person personally and say, okay, what can I learn from this person? Or what can I, how can I grow from this person? Or what's something that they can teach me? That opens up a lot more opportunities and doors yes. for you, not necessarily to be friends with them or to follow them or anything like that, but to say, hey, here's here's a place I can learn. And here's just, this is part of how I create my own framework for how I'm going to approach the world. I think that that's absolutely correct. And our, our judgments keep us blind to opportunities and also good counsel and instruction that we can learn from other people. I think that everybody would kind of agree that what Tiger Woods did with his wife maybe wasn't the best thing ever. But I think we can also agree that perhaps we could learn something about golf from Tiger simultaneously, you know? So again, uh, our judgments, uh, they don't help us and they don't give us a free pass about what we need to do in terms of our own legacy and our own way of relating to people. And to me, it, 
really does ultimately become an inside job where we kind of create the rules by which we engage life by and that we look to bring uh, lives of distinction and value to other people to encourage them to be able to raise their bar, to be able to honor their talents and their time to create a life of uh, value and meaning. Jeff, we could probably talk for an hour. Uh, I know, for example, you were at the 72 Olympics in Munich. I mean, that's a whole, we could do a whole series of podcasts just on the experiences you had with them. anyone who knows their Olympic history knows, you know, what a, what a tragic and pivotal games that was in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and so I, I can't wait to talk to you more in the future. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I want to make sure that people uh, can check you out. I know you do a lot of workshops and have an online presence too. Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you if they'd like to learn more? Well, thank you, Dave, for that opportunity. Uh, certainly my website, which is www.drjeffspencer.com. It's D-R-J-E-F-F-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. And then for information about the Champion Blueprint Workshop, and then Champion's Blueprint is actually the model that I've created in the Champion's Blueprint. It's actually a high-performance model that creates the readiness for those three to five pivotal moments that make or break a career each year. We actually do an instructional on that that allows us to be able to carry momentum forward and create lives of distinction. And the uh, URL for that is www.drjeffspencer.com forward slash workshop. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to put links to all that here in the show notes. And those of you who get the weekly leadership guide on Wednesday, of course, you'll be getting that as well. Jeff, I really appreciate your perspective, uh, your wisdom on how to approach being a champion. And also, uh, I just really appreciate you sharing some of your, your personal stories too, some of the, the difficult ones, um, because uh, I know that that's something, you know, we all struggle with challenges too. And uh, I think hearing how other people have worked through challenges is really helpful to all of us on how we navigate our own. Well, thanks for saying that, David. You know, there's always room at the top for the best. And I look at everybody, there's only one of you in all the creation. And we all have a very distinct contribution that we can make to each other. And I would just suggest that we all follow our curiosity and we don't hold back and we make our past through this dimension count. So thanks again, Dave, for the opportunity. My pleasure. so much here. Thank you, Jeff, for your wisdom and your experience. I just really appreciate it. And there's so many quotes I could pull out. And in fact, I have pulled out a number of the things that Jeff said and have put them on the show notes. So check them out. And of course, those of you get the leadership guide this week will get them. But the one that I wrote down that is sticking with me was toward the end of our conversation. Jeff said, and I quote, our judgments don't help us and they don't give us a free pass about what we need to do in terms of our own legacy and our own way of relating to people. Amen to that. I don't know about you, but I've certainly spent more time in my life than I'd care to admit about thinking about, like he said, either deifying someone or uh, demonizing someone and putting a lot of time and energy into that and maybe not being willing to listen or engage for what the lesson is from that person, both good or bad, or maybe both, depending on the person and the time and the situation. And I think that for any of us who can work to minimize that, part of that's human nature. But if we can just set some of those judgments aside and focus our time and energy, like he said, on those one or two things that really do need to go well, man, the people I know who are able to do that pretty consistently are the kinds of people that are out there doing stuff in the world as opposed to being 
the spectators. And for me, I really want to be one of those people that's out there doing things that are great for the world and great for other people. And I would really challenge you to do that too. So if you took nothing else away from the conversation, I hope that you will take that into your work this week, wherever your work is, whether it is in the business world, on the sporting team, on stage, or with your child at home. Any of those, that lesson's so, so important. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, or feedback. The show notes for this episode are at coachingforleaders.com slash 186. I especially welcome your feedback this week because next week is the next Q&A show. And that is going to be episode 187. The topic is coaching. I have several questions already for the show, but I'd still love to consider yours. And even if it's not on the topic of coaching, fair game, coaching is just to get you thinking. But if you have a question for us that you'd like Bonnie and I to tackle in next week's episode, go ahead and go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and that will give you the option to either record right there on your computer. Um, By the way, you can listen to it before you submit it. So if you don't like it, you can always go back and change it. Uh, For those of you who haven't been on that yet, And there's also a phone number there you can use as well, too. And speaking of the website, longtime listeners will hopefully appreciate this. I've got two new resources that are now available on the website. One is a return and one is something new. Um, Many of you may remember that in the past I had a catalog of all the episodes that were up there and then it disappeared and we changed websites and I won't bore you with the details, but it is back. So a list of all the past episodes are now up on the website. And unlike before, it's actually fairly easy to navigate. So you can scroll through those pretty easily and access the audio for every episode that's been aired since the first one back in 2011. So the way to get there is just to go to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast and you will see the library there of all the shows and I think there's seven or eight pages there that you'll need to scroll through, but it's fairly easy to get to. So I hope that's helpful for those of you, especially I know who are going into the back catalog and listening to older shows. I know many of you have mentioned that you do that. I hope that'll be helpful to you. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash podcast. And when you're up there, speaking of resources, there's now a new resources page that I've been working on over the last couple of weeks. And there's enough up there now that I'm ready to announce that it's there, although it is still very much at the beginning stages and is going to be growing substantially. One of the questions I often get from people in the listening community is, uh, I'll get an email about you know something unrelated to a recent show, but it's something I've aired on a show maybe a year or two ago. And they'll ask, you know, what's a good book or a resource? And you're always welcome to reach out to me on that. But I wanted to get a resources page up. So that would be a good place for you to get an even faster answer on what's a resource, a book, a podcast, a service, an app that we would recommend under specific topic areas like leadership, marketing, technology, even family, or just some of the categories that I have up there already. There's about 50 resources already on the page, and I expect that's going to grow to several hundred in the coming weeks as I begin to catalog more and more from past shows. So if that is of interest to you, go to coachingforleaders.com slash resources. There's also a button now on the website, and there will be a link to that resources page on the bottom of every weekly coaching guide that comes on Wednesdays. For those of you who get the leadership guide on Wednesdays, just look at the very bottom of the message and you'll see a link there directly. And that'll be an ongoing inclusion in the weekly leadership guide. And speaking of which, I hope you do join the leadership guide. If you aren't already getting it, it is delivered to your inbox on Wednesday and it includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, and books 
that'll support your development between the shows. This past week, it was a list of apps that will help you to manage your time. So you can find that on the website if you missed it. Um, But it also includes a brief overview and link to the full weekly show notes each week. So if you listen while you're on the go, like me, it'll help you have an easy follow-up to the resources we mention on every show. And as a bonus, when you join that, you'll get immediate access to my reader's guide listing the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And it has brief summaries for me on the value of each book. You can get my 11-page reader's guide and a nine-minute video of me walking through those 10 books and why I think they're important books for you to consider in your own leadership development. So get access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I'm thrilled to be able to continue the community member spotlight each week. And this time from someone clear on the other side of the world, I am thrilled to introduce Tori Peace to you. Tori? Hi, my name is Tori, and I am calling from Timor-Leste, which is a small island just north of Australia. And I first became interested in the Coaching for Leaders podcast when I received this position as the head of office here, and I was going to be managing, directly or indirectly, 15 reports. And so I began searching for leadership resources in order to improve my skills. And I must say that coaching for leaders has been a big, big part of that. Um, I've been able to apply a lot of the lessons that Dave has talked about. And I've also assigned some of the podcasts to my staff to listen to, to get ideas about how can they become better supervisors and better leaders within the office. And one of them actually applied some of what she learned in the episodes on delegation. And afterwards, she told me that her work uh, improved dramatically because she was able to better communicate with her direct reports about what needed to be done. So I'm really, really grateful for Dave and his podcast. And I really enjoy hearing about uh, not only from his, his own perspective, but also the guests on the show and I can't wait to see what else he has planned this year. Dave has also inspired me to start my own podcast, which I did about two weeks ago, and um, also to look into even becoming a coach, uh, because I think both of those are really important roles that, that Dave has been like a mentor to me. So thank you to the listening community and thank you to Dave. And I can't wait to see what else you have planned for this year. Talk to you later. Bye. And one of the great privileges that I get of hosting the show is to be able to get to meet people from all around the world like Tori who are doing wonderful and amazing work out there. And you may have heard the roosters growing in the background. Tori's working in a really rural area and yet is listening right with the rest of us each week and applying these skills. Tori, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, record a spotlight. I so appreciate it. And she mentioned the episode on delegation. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She also mentioned that she just started a podcast actually with her husband, Shannon. And right now, Tori and Shannon live and work in different countries. And they're navigating what a lot of couples navigate at some point in their relationships on how to manage that long-distance 
partnership. And that's exactly what their podcast is about. It's called Two Mules in a Field Podcast. And if you listen, you'll hear why they call it that. Um, But it's a podcast on value-based long-distance relationship advice for happier, committed partnerships. So if that's you or you know someone that is at that point or that stage in the relationship or life uh, being separated by geography, I would really encourage you to check it out. I will put a link in the show notes to their podcast. I've listened and it's awesome. And you get the roosters crowing in the background too. Thanks, Tori. I really appreciate it. I also want to say thank you this week to Howie Fung and also to DuckButt2. That's the screen name for the kind review on iTunes. Funny story, I once listened to a motivational speaker give a big presentation, and part of the presentation was on about how he was always called Duck Butt as a kid. So there you go. I didn't think that reference was going to come back in life, but it does. Hey, it's cool. Ducks do have butts, right? (laughs) Anyway, if you'd like to post a review for the show as well, it's a huge help in the growth of the Coaching for Leaders community. It's one of the things that you can do that will really help support the show in addition to sharing it with others. If you use iTunes, visit coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. And if you use Stitcher, visit coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And thank you so much for your support of the show. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to being back with you and Bonnie as well for the Q&A show next week. Take care.